Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Hi everyone, I'm Aaron Noonan. Welcome along to the very first episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Doric, suppliers of window and door hardware to homes and apartments all across Australia, New Zealand and Asia. We'll be sitting down with some of the biggest names in Australian motorsport to chat with them about their careers. But you know us here at V8 Sleuth. We talk about the big wins and the big moments like everyone else, but we also dig deep and we unearth a few forgotten tales and some funny stories from the life in motorsport of all of our guests. And that's what we've done with our first guest. He's an Australian touring car champion, a two-time Bathurst 1000 winner, a Supercars Hall of Famer, Cam's Australian Gold Star winner, and a winner of, well, probably about one million touring car masters races. He's the one, he's the only, John Bow. JB was good enough to swing by V8 Sleuth headquarters recently and he shared some really great yarns with us. Now, a few highlights from the chat ahead to listen out for. He talks about his yearly attempts in New Zealand to talk contract terms with Dick Johnson. He tells his side of the story of the breakup with Cat Racing in 2001 and how it really all went down. He tells the tale of the whereabouts, this is a good one, of his Tui's Top Gun jacket that he got for winning the 1994 Bathurst 1000. He tells us how he christened the Calder Park Thunderdome and how that really annoyed Bob Jane. He also fesses up to a few occasions where he shoved a couple of his supercar rivals off the road deliberately and he got away with it too. There's a whole lot more that we cover. The Bud Mustang, Nations Cup, Prancing Horse Racing, his take on the future of Touring Car Masters and a whole heap more. A big thank you to all of our V8 Sleuth followers for the questions that you put out when we put out the call on our Facebook page. We tried to get through as many as we could. A couple of them have turned up some really gold in terms of the answers. So here we go. Buckle up, it's time to start. John Bow on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Doric. John Bauer, we are sitting at V8 Sleuth headquarters in the world headquarters of V8 Sleuth. Thanks very, for very pleasant environment. Stop I, it! You're no, too no, nice. no. I mean it. It's got so much, you know, memorabilia and things of interest to me. I have a very narrow field of interest. <laughs> <laughs> Motor racing and girls mostly. <laughs> Gold coin donation, mate. Gold That's coin right. donation. Yeah. Uh, we like to at V8 Sleuth focus on histories of race cars, as you well know. Yep. Um, but also some of the things that don't get normally discussed or are probably that far back in the brain files that it's a bit hard to dig right. it out. Um, one of the things that occurred to us while we were doing some John Bow research for this latest of our <laughs> V8 Sleuth podcasts brought to you by Doric uh, was that, is this right that you raced against Michael Andretti? Oh, yeah, but it was very... It was, it was a short race, though, wasn't it? It was a short race for me. Uh, Where was it? When it was, was it? It was at Long Beach. Uh, 1982 Long Beach Grand Prix. There was a Formula Atlantic race, and this is supporting Indy cars. No, supporting Formula, Formula One. One. It was yes. before it swapped yes, to yes, IndyCar. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it was actually Michael Andretti and uh, Alonso Junior were making their debut in in Formula Atlantic. What, what have they ever done? Exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, you know, I mean, I don't, I'd never met either of them, but they were in the race. Uh, Willie T. Ribs, you heard of him? First African-American to qualify for the Indy 500. Yes, well, he was in it too. Um, yeah, so we um, – it was interesting because, I mean, I obviously knew of the Andretti Unser family and their dynasty, but uh, it was early days for those guys. It's funny now because I'm still racing and both of those long retired. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad. And, and I'm told from our research team here at V8 Sleuth, the winner of that race – was Jeff Brabham. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Jeff Brabham. Jeff lived over there and, you know, was very successful in actual fact. And um, funny thing, last year, my friend Joe Collegia and I went to Circuit of the Americas. I raced his old Formula One car and he raced his little sports car. And there was a category which in Australia would be called Group O, Mm. um, what they call it, I'm not sure, but it's 60s up to 1970 open wheel cars with no wings. So who was there leading the race? Jeff Brabham. (laughs) He was in the same garage, actually. He's quite a, you know, I mean, I've known him for a long time. He's quite a serious character, though, unlike myself. So it was good, though. Good, good guy. We like to dig out different things to make. We thought we'd start with one that goes back into the files to get you up and rolling. Um, We know you for your race driving a lot, but you've also been a car salesman. Yes. What's the best deal you've ever done? I know you love your road cars. Best bargain you bought or the best profit you made on something along the way? I had a – I mean, I've owned a lot of cars over the years. So mainly I work for my dad's business, so let me clarify that. Uh, And he sold or they sold BMW and Mazda. So I was more of a used car person. But I I also always – had cars myself because mm. I love cars. So, I uh, back in the what would it be the eighties, early eighties, I bought a Lamborghini Uraco three liter from a guy in Queensland, a mate of mine. A pretty rare car, so I got it back to Tassie, and uh, every time I drove it, which was about four times, <laughs> something fell off it or went wrong with it. You know, typical. Are you going to say to tell you car of, <laughs> With, with uh, yeah, apologies to the Italians that listen to this. Um, but it just, you know, the, the uh, like you'd push the electric window button and all the cables, would, you know, there's about 40 metres of cables in the door and it would all fly out and the window would go crashing to the bottom of the door and take you four days to fix it, you know. So in the end, I didn't drive it. I advertised it in Unique Cars magazine. And this this guy, is not a paid advertisement no, for Unique no, Cars no, magazine, by the way. And it came, uh, the guy came down, flew down from the Gold Coast and bought it off me, and it was like a 20 grand profit. So it was pretty good money. <laughs> and he's going, uh, he came down with his wife, he, and uh, he said, Oh, I'd already booked it back on the, on the ship so he could take it back to Melbourne, put it on a train. But he goes, Oh, look, it's such a beautiful place, Tasmania. I think I'll. Uh, I'll we'll do a bit of a tour, and I'm going. No, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> Put it on that boat. No, I Put it do, on the boat. No, the roads are bad, mate. I wouldn't do that. I would not drive it on these Tasmania roads. Anyway, did off he goes. I've got the money, so that was one good thing. But he he gets halfway down the east coast to Tasmania, the throttle jams wide open, and <laughs> nearly like he saved it, but he you know could have killed him. And then he gets. A, I got a guy from Hobart to go and fix it. Gets a bit further down the east coast and one of the driving lights falls off and he, he drives over the top of it. You've never seen a bloke so happy to see a car get on the ship as me. So, so that, that was, and that was a good deal. That was a win. Many, yeah, well, it was a profit. 
Well, a, a profit deal is always a good deal, yeah. but you can't. Uh, I don't do that anymore because it's the motor industry is so full of regulation. It's just not not possible. It's not I mean, fun, and it's not fun. No, you could you could always sort of find a weird car somewhere that you know appealed to your your weird brain. <laughs> I've, I've had a lot of weird cars. I was going to say, speaking of weird cars, one that we'd forgotten, but it's not that far back was the Ascari GT car and if you look on our listeners look on YouTube mm. they'll find a clip taken from the Australian Grand Prix from the spectator from Brockies Hill yeah. where I think you ended up parked there with a, a failure in that car which is a very rare well, British know, built sport car and then some bloke in a Porsche drove over your head I know it was a uh, the failure was a fuel problem they, they the guys forgot to put it in it's so, a technical so, issue yeah, so yeah. I'm in the race and it splutters to a halt with a with a fuel pressure warning, which obviously if there's no fuel, it's got a fuel pressure warning. So I've rolled around the, the, the corner, the sort of right left where Brockies Hill is, and I've sat up against the wall and they've had double yellows waving, which means you're not allowed to pass. Which you would think is enough to cover yeah, a parked car. So there's, the cars are still racing though. So they're all going past one lap, two laps, three laps. Next thing I get this, I've still got my seatbelts on, thank God, because I couldn't get out because it's left-hand drive. Up against the wall. Yeah. yeah. So I just sat there and this guy's hit me in the right-hand corner and taken the right-hand side out of the car. like It was like an aeroplane crash. There's bits strewn for hundreds of metres and it momentarily knocked me out. Oh, really? We so, didn't know so, that. No, no, only momentarily. The car's rolled forward and then it's nosed into the wall and it sort of woke me up. So then, then I've got a marshal, which I have a lot of time for the marshals. But I've got this marshal going, get out of the car, get out of the car. And I go, how the f*** do you expect me to? <laughs> <laughs> like the right-hand side is destroyed and it's all mangled oh. and the left-hand side is hard up against the wall. It actually was quite a good car. but It had a BM- BMW the, engine, BMW, the Ascari GT car. M5, five-litre, normally mm. aspirated, yeah. Uh, eventually it was... It was owned then by Darren Berry, a hmm. guy from Queensland. It was never quite developed. That was when it was just arrived. And eventually it, it ended up in Keith Kosolke's hands, hmm. who is a TCM guy for a while. And it had a fire at Phillip Island and burnt itself and burnt Keith very hmm. badly. So so it was obviously a cursed... A cursed car. Cursed car from hmm. the beginning, yeah. But, but, you know, like at its time, I guess that was... What would that have been? 2009 or something? Close. So Eight, I was going to just sit back and wait for ten, you to... Uh, ten. Ten, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, okay. good job. Nice yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, you know, quite competitive for the period of mm. against the cars that were around then. Of course, now GT cars have become Formula One-ized. Mm. Moved on just a little. They, yeah, they can't pass anybody unless you're Matt Campbell, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he is good at that. <laughs> he was. Uh, I'm talking about more different cars. Um one of the ones that gets mentioned, I know it's been mentioned on our great friend Greg Rust's podcast, you talked about the Viscander. Mm-hmm. I wanted to swap slightly. V8 power, different thing. The Brian Thompson Merck. Different the sports sedan, Earlier in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, Tell yeah. me how you landed in that because later on, obviously, Tomo raced it. Brad Jones had a go. Yeah. We're talking about a, an era of when sports sedans were pretty strong, they were strong uh, yeah. highly competitive yeah, and lots of good cars and drivers. But for those who might not, Remember, this is, I think we're talking, what, 1980, 81, around that era? 80, the car was finished, I think. It was built in Shepparton by Peter Fowler and a group of guys, and and it was 
quite amazing that the community spirit and involvement they got. So mm. it was real, you know, it was big, big for the time. Unfortunately, the car wasn't that great, but... The, How did you get sucked into that uh, or dragged well, into that? Peter had... Um, I clarified that a bit too. The car became better later. but, but when well, I, After you drove it after or after I, you, they got rid of you? I, oh, they didn't get rid of me. <laughs> I got rid of that. But it, uh, it was... It had this Thompson Fowler. They developed this cylinder head for a small block Chev, so a 350 Chev, which had four valves per cylinder. But it was sort of modelled on a Triumph Dolomite Sprint type head, and it was not very good. You know, I mean, it was clever, innovative, but not very good. It didn't make as much power as a normally aspirated one, and it was much more complex. So, And it was only new. I mean, I... Uh, in the defence of the car, I didn't know that much about cars with roofs anyway, so I drove it for kind of a year and and it surfaced paradise. The engine blew up going under the bridge and uh, it spewed oil and water and everything else all over me because the engine was back next to you. So it's in, for those who might not be across this, in sports sedans, weight further back. So with a lot of those cars, the engines were right beside Absolutely. you. Yeah, Absolutely. crazy. Mm. Yeah, there was a big bulge beside you and the engine was there under the bulge. <laughs> and, you had, and your feet were in this little narrow space down there. This is you not know. good OH&S, oh, No, not at the time, no. Uh, and the, you know, the exhaust, were, your feet used to get to you know 150 degrees C. Your feet used to just about melt. Um, but anyway, after that blow up at Service Paradise, I was getting a bit frustrated by it and I had a a Formula 2 Elfin, and I was also driving the Formula 5000 Elfin at the same time. So I kind of, I suggested to Pete Fowler, who I still see a bit at Winton races and things, that he should get that, you know, young Brad Jones, a promising young fellow, to drive for him. Oh, jeez. And Brad was there at that meeting in his Formula Ford. So if you ever bring it up with Brad, he'll he'll reckon that I tried to kill him, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not true. Later on, Tomo drove it, and they developed it, and they put turbochargers on it, and and they did away with this, you know, the fancy cylinder heads, and it became quite a successful car. But it wasn't, you know, my best experience. We will dig out a photo from the V8 yeah. Sleuth files for yes. our. It was a good looking uh, car. A great car. Yeah. It was it blue at that stage you drove? Uh, red, white, and blue. It was red, very white, patriotic. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and the whole project was called Shepherd and on the Move. And honestly, where was Shepherd and moving to? Though I don't know, down the, <laughs> down the highway, probably down the Hume. But they had a you know like a, a civic reception on the you know in the town hall. Did you get was, the keys to the city or what? I can't remember. It's a long time ago, mate. Nineteen eighty. <laughs> I, mean, I can't remember any any keys. But I was you know a young boy from Tassie, so a drive's a drive, a car's a car. Yeah, deal's a deal. Anything that gets you across the Bass Strait and onto a racetrack, I was up for. And we haven't got rid of you ever since. <laughs> no, I won't go home. Hey, one of the cars that we get asked about frequently by our followers at V8 Sleuth is your Bathurst and Championship winning mm-hmm. Shell FAI Falcon, which, just to recap for those, was the car that was new for you in 94 that I know you have yep. a, a close relationship with Jimmy Stone, who put yes. that car together, mm-hmm. and Les Laidlaw, who was with DJ at the time. Yes. Became the Bathurst winning car in 94 as an EB, yes. was converted to EF, won the championship with you in 95, which you yeah. drove the whole way through the year, yeah. and then it's the car that ended up in the fence at Phillip Island with yes. Craig Lanz the following Upside year. Yes. But it's junked, it's gone. Yes. We've seen so many cars oh, I know. <laughs> more badly damaged that have been salvaged, oh. had sh- new chassis rails or you know, virtually rebuilt yes. with new metal. Yeah. That car could have been saved, Absolutely. surely. It's only honestly about 
three, four months ago that Dick and I were somewhere at a function somewhere and we were talking about it. And, and I said, why, why did that get thrown away? And he said, well, at the time, Ford used to deliver body shells probably in a six-pack mm. on the back of a truck. It's like they were coming from Ikea or yeah, something. Yeah, it was, it was. And they, they'd just turn up and they'd stick them in the back and, you know, when they got time, they'd build a car. So, and Les, by that stage, uh, was had decided that, you know, we were going to build a new car, he wouldn't worry about it, so he threw it out. Where it went, I do not know. But, I mean, imagine now if you had that. It'd be fantastic. Oh. Fantastic, wouldn't it? Because it was a really good car. Like, it was the first new touring car I'd sort of driven, or new supercar, as they called them. And... Uh, Jimmy was, and still is, he's in his 70s now, he's quite innovative, you know, and he beavers away making nice things, so it was, that was one of the few cars I actually connected with, you mm. know, I've, I've driven lots of cars, but that car was a bit special. There's a common story that you and Dick both tell about that car at Bathurst 94 being uh, transformed from Saturday to the, to the Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Fess up. Yeah, it's no, 25 no. years on. What was the magic oh, click well, or change or tweak that turned it in from a bit of a, oh. <laughs> a bucket of bolts to no, a No, it was never a bucket of bolts. It was just nervous. So uh, I call it my shock absorber period, which, which you know, it's like Pro Hart had a... Art Deco era. era and, and, uh, you know, Picasso had various eras. Well, this was a shock era. I had it for a bit. <laughs> Let me think from, say, 94 to... 2004 or five. So you, it's a 10-year period. Could you, could you get tablets for it? Or? I don't know. I, I needed therapy, <laughs> that's for sure. But in those days, we had a shock dyno in the back of the truck. It was new to the Stone Brothers as well, so all this shock technology. We also had a deal with Penske shock absorbers. That Isn't that ironic? In the States. It is a Who bit strange, thought? isn't it? Mm. Three degrees of separation. And we there was a guy from Penske who used to come out once a year, and he we got a crack at the latest stuff, you know, they're always doing things. It was quite interesting. And it was not unusual for Ross and Jimmy to pull the shocks apart in the between practice sessions and redo them, revalve them, cut some holes in the shims, drill some holes in the pistons, whatever, you know. It was what people did. Mm. And um, so we did it on Saturday afternoon, or they did it, they did the work, and, and it was... It calmed the back of it down. It, it, I know what they did now, but at the time I just thought it was black magic. You know, it was fantastic. <laughs> I could tell the difference by my feel, mm. but I do know what they did. And it's quite common now, but it was it really made it into a, a very, very good car. Really. And, you, I mean, you don't win Bathurst without a good car. It doesn't matter what era you're in from the 60s to now. You still got to have a good car. Junk boxes don't win Don't win Bathurst, Bathurst no way. Funnily enough. No way. But the one thing that stands out to me looking back at that win that car the obvious one everyone asks about is about lounge the fight at the end and mm-hmm. the pass at turn two yep not many people stop to consider that there's no vision of that from inside your car had an in-car camera yeah but it was rendered useless because it was possessed and doing 360s yeah, for the whole round, second round. half of the oh, race no. <laughs> so there's no vision of one of the most infamous moves in Bathurst history oh, no. That's probably a good thing for you. Did you tee that up? Did you make that no, happen? No, I didn't. I mean, it was just one of those things. I mean, we, we, I'd caught and passed him and left him behind. And then we had a safety car and we were using tie bleeders mm. then. So Which are banned, banned somewhat now. later. Yeah, yep. but the, they, at the time for the Dunlop tyres, they were essential to keep them alive. The Richstone guys didn't have them because they didn't need them, but, but ours did. So when we have a slow period behind the safety cars, the 
pressures would drop so much that the car was very lazy. So it didn't come good for a few laps. So that's when he passed me, basically. You know what I mean? Good on him. And he's since had a very good career, I quite often say to him, you know, you did without me, him. mate, you wouldn't have made it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there were circumstances. I struggled a bit straight after it because car, our car was crappy and then the tyres got more pressure and off we went. So... Yeah, anyway. But you had a possessed camera. I did have a Do pos- you remember that? That was big, though. The did, cameras did, were like... Yeah, that's back know, in the day that they were a a big... They were actually yep. um, a proper television camera, but with a rigging and a mounting and yeah. obviously the 360 spinning device that Seven um, invented, Pioneered. developed. Pioneered, yeah, yeah, yes. world leaders yeah. in the technology. Yeah. Now they're tiny little cameras that we can put in all the cars, whether it's for judicial purposes or telecast. Yeah, yes. uh, you got the hamburger camera in the roof now. But, um, yeah, they're a big, hefty unit, so you would clearly notice it when it moved or when it did something oh, that you weren't expecting it to do. I mean, it moved while you were racing, but it, it was wasn't moving the, like that. It was out of the corner of your eye, though. You, I knew it was doing it, but, I mean, obviously, if you're a racing driver, it's you're, not gonna help you're you supposed win. to concentrate on what's out the front, not what's <laughs> happening beside you. So, you know, you just turned a blind eye to it. But it's funny now, I just think, as you're saying that, the uh, you know, the C of G type things. Now, imagine, Don't start. Imagine what difference. Don't start. Imagine Don't the start. difference that would have made to the centre of gravity of the car. Oh. Like, it would have weighed about 30 kilos. Oh, don't start least. a whole in-car camera parody debate. Yeah. I don't think we have the time. No, no, it's a bit odd, isn't it? All Ooh. this stuff coming to the light nowadays. But it's, uh, it's anyway. nothing new. We were happy Every- to have it because, you know, it was very good yeah. publicity for your sponsors. So we were happy to have it there. And Dick was a great one for having a... Having you know, a natter. Having a joke. And a chat. And a chat on the, uh, on the camera. I didn't ever like doing it, but... He kind of loved it. <laughs> kind of. He did call Richard Petty a, you yeah, know what, when he went to yeah, America and then tried to tell him it was a term of endearment. But that's that's, uh, a, that's a whole other matter. And the other thing about that car that um, – it's a great story, that car of achievement. Um, the sad thing – the only thing that survives from that car, from that accident, I believe, is the logbook. Is it? The, the original logbook is still with Dick at, at DJR Team Penske these days. So that's about the only thing, I think, unless someone See, salvaged was, a panel off it. If this was America. They'd build a car from that logbook. Absolutely. <laughs> It'd be there now racing. <laughs> in, in fact, probably New Zealand as well. And maybe England. Worth a truckload. Just load. not Australia. No. We never found the spectator that jumped the fence no, to help no, you get no. out of that car. Mm-mm. It's 1996. It's 23 years ago. Yeah, I know. We've never found... So for, for those who don't know, and look it up on YouTube, we, we've got that race I think we've released on our Seven Sport Magic Moments DVD mm-hmm. series from memory. Um, you and Lowndes, race two, first lap, off the road at Hayshed. Mm-hmm. He's in the fence. You're in the fence, barrel rolling down the road. And before a marshal or an, uh, any officials or fireys can get to you, a spectator leaps the fence... Mm. Uh, like we saw at the 12 hour this year in, in practice at the chase mm. to help you get out of your car mm. you wrote letters to magazines Everything, it was written yeah. about uh, at the time and pre- never, we've never found out who he was never, never, he's never stepped forward never came to light no no it was interesting wasn't it it's uh, just to talk about your DVDs a, a friend of mine the other day gave me one from the Bathurst 89 one of yours yeah sorry uh, guilty as charged yeah no it's great you, you can yeah. buy the Bathurst 1989 DVD in full via the cmsmotorsport.com.au yeah, yeah. website now so this so, guy gave in, it to me and it's got all the stuff that was on in the ad breaks yes too that no one's ever yeah, seen no, because I they were watching watch some of the other night and I thought wow how good is this it brings back were you still good did yeah, you still no, win, by actually, the way? Actually, I wasn't bad. Did you, did, you, did you still win? <laughs> still oh, won. Good. Yeah, I haven't got changed. that far yet. Oh, right. I, 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 won't, I won't ruin the ending for you. I'll have to wait then. and see. 
Oh, dear. Yeah, very funny. Anyway, that guy, he, he didn't ever, you know, it was good of him because the car, the door was jammed. Mm. I couldn't open it. And um, I was on the upside of the car. So when I undid the belts, I fell to the bottom. <laughs> you know, so Not your best idea. I wouldn't have been, I wasn't in a great state of mind, I can tell you that. And uh, they, the camera followed Lowndes. But not you. Not me, because he was flavour of the moment. Mm, so, mm. you know, they left me to have the my own reigning ac- champion yeah. was in the fence and no one cared. Left it was me all to about have the my kid. own accident with no one watching. <laughs> Very sad. Yeah, it's not on tape. No, um, no it's not. And from- it was truly, people told me it was 40 feet high in the air when mm. it was bouncing. Did you close your eyes? I don't know what I did. I, I, know, I can remember it was before seats had sides on them and my head was getting rattled. Uh, and pre hands device, too. Pre hands device, yeah. yeah. My head's was rattle around like if you grab a, a doll and shake it, you know. It was a really horrific accident. Anyway, I'm still here, so. Oh, well, we'll, we'll get that logbook out one day. <laughs> yeah, we, we should make a new one. <laughs> let's, let's make a new let's one. Let's make a new car. There, there are um, DJR Falcons of that era still around, some yeah, of your yeah. former cars yeah. that are being brought back to life. So um, obviously they're long restoration jobs, but I think we're going to see some of those cars in probably the next 12 months or so. Yeah, I think track, uh, so. Terry Lawler has got the Sierra races. Mm. Regularly in Group A, historic Group A, he's he's bought the EB from you would know this ninety three ninety three yes yeah. and Stevie J and his little crew of people are doing the work on it so mm. so it'll actually be restored by Johnson, built by Johnson, crashed by Johnson, crashed by Johnson. Like I mean, yeah. it's got a full it's, Johnson it's, history. It's, it? <laughs> It'd be worth a lot of money, yeah. I reckon. <laughs> Uh, there was JB history in that car because you yeah. were the co-driver, oh, so don't, don't dull yourself out of I history. Too. Come on, uh, I was driving. I think I did. Did I do the Sandown Five Hundred with Cam McConville in that car? And with uh, Dick himself, the three three man lineup. Three, that's one, right. One, yes. one car run that yes, year, that's 90, right. 1993. Yeah, and the um, it broke the throttle cable. So coming out of. On the back straight? On the back straight, yeah. Listen to us, we're going all rain man with yeah, this, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we are. And, and I stopped on the side of the road and I borrowed something off a of marshal. Hey, lift- that's illegal, isn't it? I, I don't know. Oh. I lifted the bonnet, I jammed this thing down the throttle slide, but butterfly, <laughs> it was which let it rev to about 6,000. And then I got back in and drove back to the pits. And then the engine guy, Alan Draper, was going, you shouldn't do that, you heard it. And, you know, like, Mate, I wanted to get back. It's yeah. a long walk. Yeah, race drivers <laughs> don't walk anywhere. I don't want to, anyway. <laughs> hey, uh, another thing I wanted to touch on, we've got some listener questions. We'll get to those soon. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done some historically significant things in your career. Um, mm-hmm. Only man to win the Australian Drivers' Championship, Sports Car and Touring Car Championship, two-time Bathurst winner, winner of one million TCM races. Uh, that is an officially, officially verified statistic, 90, by the way. 97, and it doesn't look like going anymore at the moment. So Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> That's we, not we, a negative we've, statement. We've, we've got faith. But the one thing that we may have touched on in previous conversations in our previous television, I think we might have touched on this in Shannon's Legends World, true or false, John Bauer, the first man to crash an ass car on the Calder Park Thunderdome. Uh, I don't know whether that's true. I certainly did crash one. What do you think you were? So just claim it as another record. I was the first one to crash a car at the bend. You're on fire. That's uh, that's only well, not on fire. Just no, crashing, I wasn't but... on fire, but I thought I was for a minute. <laughs> that, that was, that's only not very long ago. That's last year. NASCAR, I did actually crash it, but, um, but on a test day though. We it was a test day. John yeah. Shippo was was the running building those cars for Bob Jane, and uh, and Shippo. And I got on really well. So he, he said one day, come over and have a drive in this NASCAR. And, you know, I mean, 
I, you love to drive. Yeah, you know, I probably wouldn't do it now, but I <laughs> certainly did then. And I'm boring around this. It was a weird sensation. Obviously, it's a it's an art form in itself, and, I, and I'm not sure I had it. But And the, the tyre was rubbing on the guard, but I didn't know. You can't see anything out of it. And the next thing, the tyre's gone flat, and so it's crashed into the wall, and Bob... May rest in peace. He's arrived in his Mercedes and the, through the infield and berated me pretty seriously. And Shippo sort of stood up for him. He said, oh, it wasn't his fault, Bob. And, you know, it was all calmed down. But it was one of those not nice experiences. Thanks for bringing all this stuff up. <laughs> I mean, here I am. I'll be back in therapy next no, week. No, 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 no. We're here to pump your tyres up too. Don't worry about that. Oh, but dear. You, did, you, did, you didn't race NASCAR, but you had to run in an Oscar, one, uh, a Falcon, which I think had been a car that Brock had had a – a brief going. Uh, yes, I think he had. I'm not sure about that, but it was once again Shepo ran it out of his shop out, out at of Calder Calder. Park. Yep. And uh, I quite enjoyed that. I enjoyed the racing. I didn't necessarily enjoy the driving much, you know, because it's weird. You, you, The cars all go to the... You know, You're leaning on the microphone as you say this. It's yes, sort of a, hang on, yeah, let's I've, just have this conversation on a 35-degree <laughs> tilt. And you, and you sort of woof into this banking. I'm sure you get used to it. But I didn't love that that much. But the racing was fantastic because you you know, cut and thrust style racing. And, uh, and Jimmy Richards ended up winning in one of Mick Webb's car and I came second. So I thought this is a good time to exit this. Take a trophy, take a trophy and run. I've got this huge trophies about this. They thing, had cool know. trophies they back did, in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. That's what yeah. people don't get now, I don't think. You know, you, a huge big trophy looks much more impressive in your lounge room than a little piece of glass, doesn't it? I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. What, what's your most – if you had a fire tomorrow, what's the trophy that you save? What, have you, have you, are you a memorabilia guy? Have you kept oh, a lot of stuff? Or have I've you? got um, – I've got a lot of trophies. Mm. Yeah. Well, we would hope so from your million race wins. Yeah, I have got a lot of trophies. Uh, the one I, I have a few little trophies in my office at home, and the one that's most special to me probably is the Bathurst one from 94. 94, yeah. Yeah, 94, yeah. Because it was a, you know, in, in 89 I was pretty new to the team and I was just, a, I just considered I came in and did my job mm. and went home. But by 94 I was very much part of it, part of the family and, you know, we all did it together. It was, was, quite a was good that one of those little Waterford crystal yeah, yeah, trophies? Yeah, 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 those? yeah, yeah. Is it worth anything, Derek? Uh, I'm sure we could make it worth something. <laughs> it's hey, it's a Bathurst winning trophy. Let's of talk course, it up. it's worth Can we something. Talk it, up? it was specially made. For, yeah, yeah, they for, were great. Yeah, that, specially made. That was by the, Waterford. Yeah, that was the regular trophy for the winners in that era of. The, yeah. well, well, it was the Tui's one thousand. Tui's one thousand. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and it's funny. A funny story here. They gave you a jacket. Uh, a yes, leather, leather, yes, a leather jacket. It was sort of that wartime look, mm. and it had Tui's Top Gun on it. They gave Dick one and me one. Wear that to the pub. So, you know, I took it home and put it in my closet, and that's where it stayed. And years and years later, a mate of mine from Canberra was at Canberra at the time. He called me and he said, um, "Did you ever have a leather jacket? You know, that had Tui's Top Gun on it?" And I go. Uh, yeah, I did, as a matter of fact. I don't know where it is, though. I've got no idea. This is after I'd already moved over here to, to Melbourne. And, then, and I said, who's got it? Where is it? He said, oh, it's on eBay, and it's you know it's for sale. I said, who's, who's selling it? And he said, someone called Christine. And I was going, oh, well, that's my ex-wife. Yeah, because <laughs> that was mine for sure. <laughs> so there, he bought it. So he's oh, got well, there it. you go. He's got it. Oh, yeah, well, there you go. It. Now you know yeah. where it is. Yeah. So he's got a bit of – he's got a mini John Bow shrine at his house. <laughs> And five children. <laughs> Gold coin donation. He's obviously got entry. nothing to do. <laughs> um, we talked Thunderdome, Calder. Mm-hmm. Um, 
one of the wins is probably a bit overlooked. See, we talk about the we've talked about some crashes and some yeah. funny stuff, but um, everyone talks about and remembers the World Touring Car round on the combined oval and road track at Calder. But there'd been a previous almost test yes. race uh, about a m- two months or so um, earlier, where you and Terry Shield won in a last lap. Um, win in the Nissan Skyline. So your first time with the, the PJ team yeah. uh, where I think Larry Perkins was driving Bill O'Brien's new car that he'd built for him as a customer. Exactly. Larry had done the whole race bar, I think the last lap, which he had to give Bill under the rules. And Terry Shield blows by him, which again is on the Seven Sport DVD yeah, yeah, range, yeah. which I'm not turning into a plug for that, but if you want to see the race, buy <laughs> gotcha, the DVD. Gotcha. Don't try to find it on YouTube. Um, and you're in the commentary box commentating your own win. Yes, yes. How good is that? It was a funny funny thing because Freddie Gibson obviously ran the team and, and um, Cito was the you know, golden-haired assassin baby or whatever he was whatever called. Whatever Mike was calling whatever him at the he time. Him, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so... Freddie goes, come over on Wednesday and we'll do some testing. They used to do lots of testing in this and team. And so I come over on Wednesday and out the Calder I go and uh, see they go round and round and round and round and round all day. No practice for me, no drive for Terry Shield. So he's he did, did a lot. He loved doing testing. Cito did. Still does. Yeah, I think he does. Yeah. Anyway, so eventually, by the time we got in the car, and Terry Shield was a really good driver, like very underrated. But it was the com combined oval road circuit so mm. you're halfway down the main front straight you'd turn left left again onto the oval round the oval then off the oval back onto the road circuit so it was the most bizarre experience because that nissan dr30 was the heaviest car in the steering you've ever driven yet i had to wedge you know i'm look i'm no big muscle-bound character but i had to wedge my knee up against the steering wheel going around the oval and I bit through my drink tube. I was so determined to get it around there, you know. <laughs> so it was an interesting race. Yeah, we didn't expect to win, but anyway, we did. A win's a win. It was good. Take them when you get them. Good. Yeah. So you could say that Cito set the car up for us beautifully, or you could say that he just hogged the car. I'd say he hogged the car, to be honest. That'll get back. No, yeah, no. Get ca- back. I, uh, we used to be mortal enemies uh, because in that Ford, particularly the Falcon, mm. Era, um, you know, Ford played Glenn Seaton's team off against Dick's team and vice versa. So I was I wasn't in it because politically I was removed from it. But I could see it all going on all the time. The the motorsport people and the marketing people they'd play each one off. So you know they didn't like each other, and because I was in the middle of it, I ended up you know taking Dick's side. I, I've since become quite friendly with Glenn. He's a good bloke, you know, and he was a good driver. He still is a good driver. You weren't that friendly at Bathurst in no, no, 95. No, I hated him. <laughs> I hated him. <laughs> I hated him for years, actually, and I usually don't hate anybody for very long. But, uh, but you I held did, on to that one for I a while, I held on to that for a, quite a long time, yeah, but I don't now. So luckily, I've, that therapy's been good for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one that pops up. So when we put out through V8 Sleuth on social media – to our followers and our fans to fire in their questions that they'd like to ask you. Mm. Um, we ran a photo of the Bud Mustang. Oh, yeah. Now, I think that's a car, given Mustang's back at the top level of the sport in supercars mm-hmm. now, um, that when Mustang was coming back, people looked to, quite rightly, 
Dick Green stuff, uh, a bit of Pete Gagan, Moffat Coke Moffat's Mustang. Car, yeah. But the Bud Mustang, we're talking 2001, GTP, yeah, Pro Car Era, yeah. um, Cobra RA, I think, from memory, yeah, the, the yeah, Mustang, was yeah. racing against Subaru Imprezas, Mitsubishi Lancers, yep. HSV GDSs. Yep. It ended up being nobbled. Constantly. It ended up in plenty of politics. But take me through that. So that was a prancing horse, bud racing yes. program. How did that all come together and, and how did it all unfold? Uh, because we get asked about it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was uh, – I think the car still exists somewhere. Yeah, they do. They're, yeah, they're, they're in Australia. Yeah. Uh, it was Howard Marston's idea. Uh, it was his brainchild. Mustang was being so word, re-engineered. They bought some from America and were re-engineered by Tickford. I had some involvement in the, you know, the driving part of it or the development part of, of the road car. And Howard dreamt up this um, – this – RA because in what, America what does RA stand for? I don't know. Racing Racing Australia. Awesome. Oh, I yeah, think okay. Racing Australia. Yeah. Because in Well the, it stands for that now because we just now. made it, it stand does, for yeah. That, yeah. I think that's what it was though. Because in America they had a, a an R Cobra R. Well and and it had for Australia. A, and it had a big engine in it though. It had the big you know, that what eventually became the boss style engine mm. that went into BA Falcons. Which was a big, heavy engine. 5.7? 5.4, 5. 5. 5. I think. Yeah. Uh, but this particular one had a, a 4.6, which is what they came with here to this country, and it was developed, had Ford Motorsport parts. So it was all off-the-shelf stuff you could get. You can buy a lot of Ford Motorsport stuff in America. Mm. Still can. And it was really great little car. Like, and they, it, Howard and uh, the Prancing Horse people was um, run owned then by Tony Rafters. Tony Noski was involved in it to some degree and they decided that, that – and, and Tony Rafters had some involvement with Bud. I'm not quite sure, but anyway, it ended up have Bud signage on it and um, I used to get free Bud beer, which wasn't very pleasant, but <laughs> so I used to give it to my Free friends. Freebies <laughs> are freebie. It's a form I of currency. I gave to all my mates in the United Nations of beer. Um so, yeah, we, we ran it a few times and it was quite good. Yeah, it was good. Uh, a guy called Ian Brown, who's now back in America, he did the dampers for it. I remember had, Brownie. He, yeah. he ended up at Kmart Racing in yes, the, he did. a couple yes, of years yes. after yes. that. Yeah, the, the Greg yeah. Murphy, right? Yeah, so he's, uh, he did the dampers. They were Olin's at the time and Olin's were pretty good stuff So and still are. So uh, Procar, in their wisdom, slowed it down and slowed it down and slowed it down and slowed it down until it was... Too, too a, slow to a, a do Musta- any good. A Mustang in a parody problem? What are yeah, you talking yeah, about? Who would have ever thought that would never happen again? It's like, it's like Groundhog Day, isn't it? <laughs> so it just faded away. So we didn't use it. They converted one to a Hollinger sequential box mm. and did a bit more work, put some bigger wheels on it, did it for some drivers, paying drivers in um, Nations Cup, mm. what had then become Nations Cup, and then I started driving the Ferrari. So... so didn't miss it really, but I look back on it and I think, you know, it was such a good car at the time. When it was good, they lifted the how they paratized it. I shouldn't say this, supercars will probably do it. They they cut the revs and cut the revs till it only had six thousand revs. And then they lifted the ride height by twenty five mil at a time. So it looked like a four wheel drive. The last race I did in it was uh, the Bathurst three hour production race and it, it, I got quite angry because <laughs> it was just so slow. <laughs> it really was slow. Not one for the 
memorable files. I mean, it's a standout car. The livery made it. Livery was great. Stand out. People still talk about the yeah, bike cars. The driving there. suits were terrific because they were, you know, based Bin on stripe and Dale, you look NASCAR Dale Earnhardt That's Jr. when Dale Earnhardt yeah, Jr. was driving the bike car. Yeah. And they, they were the, it was the first driving suit I've ever had that had cuffs rather than, you know, elasticised bottom of your legs. So you know, you've made it when. I was, you know, mm, height of fashion, racing fashion. And, and it was good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that team of people, you know, but I, I'd much rather drive the Ferrari, of course. Was there any chance, because that was at the point Prancing Horse came into V8s very yes. briefly, didn't last yes. for very long, yes. and you were f- falling out of your Briggs cap era and about to end up at Albury. Falling out. But was there ever a chance that you may have ended up in their V8 program? Was it? Because you, you had a – so you raced – V8s, but then you were doing the GTP thing in yes. your Mustang and yeah. doing a bit of Ferrari stuff, which you won the Sandown 500 yes. in a Ferrari, which a lot of people forget. Yeah. Was there a chance that in their whole machinations of their V8 supercar program that you could have ended up yes. in their car? Yes. Uh, how yes. far did that go or not go? Or? Uh, it was uh, discussed. I mean, the, the, the V8 car that they built and developed was, wasn't very particularly good, um, so when they when they first debuted it, I think uh, Mark Noski and Vito drove it. At uh, Bathurst, yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't very good. So I was a bit loath to sign up for it, having not an overly competitive car. So, and then I can't... Was, was there an offer? Was there actually oh, a deal was, on the table? It was, it was discussed, yeah. It was discussed. But not seriously? Did you ever entertain it? I think or? it got closed down for some reason. It, it did. They sold the car yeah, yeah. the next year and it became the Greenfield Mowers That's Cameron right. McLean yeah, car. Yeah, so. yeah. And I think what happened was, I think uh, from memory, and this is memory, so it could be cloudy, uh, I think Tony Raftus shut it down because there wasn't enough you know, funding, commercial funding for it. So I think the bud money was... More beer than money. Mm. <laughs> oh, which we've seen a lot of those deals in the yeah, past yeah. that probably look bigger and better. Look very fresh. Charlie O'Brien ended up in a deal with Virgin Cola for the two-litre race on the Gold Coast in the mid-90s, won the race, but the only way he could get the money was that he had to sell all the cans of cola to get the money. <laughs> ah. So it's not the first time we've heard of it sounds like Charlie. L- those sorts of deals. <laughs> those sorts of deals. We'll, we'll have to clarify that one with him, but I have heard oh, that that's, yeah. the, that's the way that, that, that unfolded. But um, when you went – let's stay in that era. <laughs> I was just uh, thinking something funny about Charlie. Like I, he was in New Zealand this year when I was over there for the historic races, and and uh, he, I was in the Volvo, and he was in an M3, and in the end we had a good old battle. And, and this is these days, not now. back in the no, day. This, this is, is now. This yeah. is yeah. two months ago. Yeah. And in the in the we had a really good battle, and in the end he got around the outside of me, the bugger, through this. There's a corner in Hampton Downs called Double Bastard. That's Tony Quinn's <laughs> idea of it. <laughs> And it is too. Is that what you say when someone passes you? That was just a double bastard of a corner. Anyway, Charlie got around the outside of me and I said to him later, mate, you wouldn't have done that back in the day. Because at Sandown, we had a coming together in 82. Gee, you don't hold a grudge, do you? uh, In the open wheelers. And the last I saw of him, his car was in the fence with the wheels coming off it. So (laughs) it's quite a funny story. For you, not for him. (laughs) No, we're friends now. Jeez. We buried the hatchet. You've had a lot of hatchets to bury oh, over no, the years. I, have, with yeah, absolutely. I was a hard person. I'm not, uh, not, not out of the car, but in the car. You're supposed to be hard. That's what it is. It's the name of the game. It's, it's racing. Not, yeah. hey, hey, when that prancing horse thing didn't happen, you ended up at Albury with yes, Brad Jones Racing for the 
next, I think, four or five years. Was there any other place you could have... I know in recent times you've talked about how you may have ended up at Larry Perkins. That was only the last year. Which was Mm. for the last Mm. year. But when that move from... Because you didn't finish 01 with Briggs, it it all fell apart after Bathurst. Yes, Um, it did. uh, (laughs) Well and truly. uh, Care to elaborate? Uh, Oh, look, uh, um, I've I've never discussed it with... um, with John Briggs, to be honest, uh, what happened was we had a car that would win the race. And it was no doubt. It was no fast doubt. enough. And he encouraged Simon Wills, who was actually a very fast driver. Who broke the lap record that day, by, by the way. Yeah. By a tenth of a second yeah. from my time. So that was what he was encouraged he, to do too yeah. much yeah. by John. Uh, and he made a very audacious pass into the last corner. I think on Anthony Tratt from and memory. And someone else. I think he tried to get two. I think he got yeah. none and yes. Tratty ended up in the sand. But yeah. And he ended up, and we ended up with a busted car. So I was really quite annoyed with it because it's not always you've got a car that could win. So I, I just told him that he was a dickhead. Yeah, and, but clearly you don't – has that just come from the Bathurst or was there things festering no, no, before no, that? No, 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 nothing. It was purely off the Bathurst. Yeah, off the, off the Bathurst. But I, what I read into this play, and it may not be right, this is my view of what, mm. it, what was going on, Simon's old man was tipping some money into Briggs. So Briggs needed a way to get more of the money and get rid of me. So he used that as an excuse. That's my view. Whether that's well, right or not, I'd like to get John Briggs on the podcast one day to uh, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone maybe, gets their right to reply. Might, maybe may not be right, but that's my view. I've had that view forever. And but he didn't uh, he didn't sack me. Howard Marsden told me so. He, he didn't even have the balls to sack me. He got Howard Marsden to do it. Right. So well, we haven't heard that one before. Yeah, no, that's right. Oh, okay. So that's what happens when you, you know. The passage of time, the truth comes out. That's what we love. And that's why we love doing what we do here at V8 Sleuth, where we tend to deal with the older era of stuff. Uh, not prehistoric, but in recent times even. But I think that the formula of if it's long enough ago that people are now happy to talk about the real stories, then yeah. it's old enough ago to talk about. So. Now, you know, this, that's my view. I mean, I know Howard sacked me. Um, and then Howard said... Uh, was it a, uh, I'm presuming, a phone call? Yeah, it was a phone call. Yeah. Nice, nice. It was a nice... Uh, I mean, Howard was a lovely man. Great bloke. Uh, so then he said, I want you to drive for either uh, Keys Wheel, go and drive with Keys Wheel and mentor his son, Paul. Paul, yep. I knew both of those. Or go and, you know, I, I, I use these words loosely, but go and help the Jones boys because they're struggling. And they'd been in supercars for a couple of years as a one-car team with mm-hmm. Brad and ended up going to two. Yes, so ended up with two cars, one for me, one for Brad. And Phil Curtis, who was working for the, the wheels and had been worked with me for at DJR, was a pretty handy guy around a race car, good good racer. And I asked him what he thought and would he come with me and he, and he goes, look, I'd like to go to, to Brad's. So I went to Brad's. I mean, I knew them anyway. I was quite friendly with them I still am but and we had some good times you know we really did but as we went along by 2005 our cars were still 2003 and mm. you know by that stage the, the, the game had ramped up and um, with you know HRT technology and and uh, the Triple Eight boys had arrived and you know we, we fell behind a bit then mm. so I think it's fantastic that the BJR still going and, you know, they're having a little revival this mm. year, aren't they? Which yeah. is interesting. It means they're 
the twin spring thing wasn't much good. I would have, <laughs> I would have thought. <laughs> That'll get back. I'm always in in for simplification, but you know, when they everyone had twin springs, it's shaken up the order a bit, hasn't mm, it? Just a smidgen. Yeah, uh, very just, complicated. Just though. going back to what you're saying too about. Um, those options that Howard gave yeah. you was the wheel option ever considered, or were you very? Oh heavily? no, no, it was. Yeah, I went up and I uh, stayed a night, spent some time with them, looked at their shop. It was fantastic. It was on his property. Mm. I don't know what they do now. I haven't seen Keith for years, but it was good. Paul's a good young guy. You they're, know. They're, a, they're a small emerging radiator operator. Yes, that are now massive, massive. Probably yes. one of the best Australian motorsport. Stories, Australian yes. business export stories. And they stories. were on the, on the rise then, obviously, mm. and they were quite, you know, successful. And he had this beautiful, it was like a barn, but it had living quarters above it and, and this awesome workshop, sort of something you'd see in America somewhere mm. underneath. But, you know, I mean, I, I probably was swayed by uh, by Phil Curtis to some degree and, and I had no, you know, I had a good time with Brad. And we're still mates, so that's something. Did they sway you with lots of money from Aubrey? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I got – no, not really. I mean, I've never been in it for money. I've always done it because I, – I, to my own detriment in some ways, I've, I've um, gone to race for people that I like more than – what their technical the, capacity the best, was. Not the best card, the yeah, best people. you know, just because but I like But it's a people them. game, JB, yeah, so it is, I yeah. totally understand that. Mm. Yeah, so I, I like, you know, people that you can have some fun with that are real people, you know, not to carry away their own importance. So, you know, and I, I could have had some other drives probably that may have been better, but who knows, you know. I mean, I'm not unhappy with them a lot. So therefore you can tell us what those ones were. Oh, I don't know about that. The well, we've prized open a few today. There's been a couple of new ones The people here. are still alive. All right, we'll wait to get rid of them. <laughs> well, we know people. I'll give you the word. <laughs> <laughs> um, that Aussie mail era, I mean, we, we've mentioned it before, we love focusing on the cars. Yeah. Um, when I say Bathurst 2002, that'll put a smile on your face. That car that you and Brad drove yes. that year was a, a rocket ship. From Absolutely. Memory, that could have won too. That was mm. another one in that same ilk yes. and it was a yes. suspension part, I think, that failed in that uh, one. It was in, a rocket. Yeah, in practice, Brad and Russell Inglewood had a coming together coming out of the chase and it had bent the front upright on our car so they'd replaced the upright but they hadn't replaced the rod end on the bottom and in the race it broke when I was driving it through the chase of all places. Good spot. Yeah, it was a good spot. Not got really. My, got my attention. Anyway, we, I got round we didn't crash so it was a shame because that car could have won as the, the uh, cat one could have won the year before but anyway. It wasn't to be. And that car still exists. It's in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There's, we can't get rid of the Brad Jones cars. But actually, most of them have ended still up around. at that Falcon oh. era are in New Zealand. Yes, they are, aren't they? Uh, yes, I've driven uh, – I haven't driven that one since, but it belonged to the Carters. Mm. And the Carters have now got the one I drove for Crookshank, which is a bit of a hybrid of bits and pieces. Which started its life as a Briggs, better yes. electrical car. Yes, that's yeah. right, yeah. So that's over there now, and the, the Carters still have that. The Carters are quite – Active in mm. in New Zealand racing, good, really good blokes. I drove that n- not this Hampton Downs the year before. It had a six liter engine and sequential and bigger tyres, bigger tyres and, and all the flares and flares, and, <laughs> and it was fantastic. It's a God, super it was, supercar. Yeah, it was a super supercar. We won by miles. <laughs> Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online. Thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. 
Simply type in your rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search rego, the number two, and oil and find out. I mentioned before that we threw it open in the lead up to this yeah. podcast with you with our we're calling it couch racer questions. Okay. Apologies to those who watch their motor racing on an armchair or on the floor, but we're calling it couch racer questions here on the V8 Sleuth podcast. Uh, let's kick off the batting. We'll try to not take forever to answer. No, that's them, right. No, but, I'm fine. Um, Joanne Hodge asks, "What was the best race vehicle that you've driven?" And probably a, that's probably one you've answered a lot. But the ultimate race car that you would like to have a crack in. Well, she says love to steer, but I said have a crack. Um, ooh. Like racing cars, and I've said you've probably heard me say this, but uh, racing cars are sort of, I reckon, like like uh, old girlfriends. You know, you look back twenty years and you, you think, "Wow, that car was good," and then you drive it again and it wasn't so good. It's like an old girlfriend. You meet this old girlfriend after thirty five years, and you, geez, what happened to her? So it's very difficult to to have a favourite, but obviously that DJR Falcon was a favourite because it was. In, in reality, the Vescander I have very good memories of because, you know, I essentially won every race I went in, so that's you know gives you a warm fuzzy feeling. Some of those uh, the Ferrari three hundred and sixty GT I drove for Marinello and or and or Prancing Horse was was good. I mean, I've, I've driven lots of good cars and lots of crappy ones too. So, so you know, to, to answer your question, Joanne, um, probably. If I had to pick one out of all time, I'd say the Viscander, but only because of the mm. results I got in it and the guys that I work with. They yeah. were funny, like uh, Dale Conicky is the K part of K&A. Uh, his son now runs it, but he would let he would change the gear ratios. It was a Hewland gearbox, and he would change them once a weekend. So I had to sit down very carefully and plot the gear ratios for it because he wouldn't do them again. So it was quite funny. Uh but what about, what about the, car, what about the ultimate car that you never got to drive or the, that you would have loved to have a go in? Well, I would have loved to have driven a Formula... I mean, I'd, I've driven Formula 1 cars now, of course, 30 years too late, but I would have loved to have dri- driven one. And I mean, I would have... The car Alan Jones won the World Championship in because I guess it was his and it was Williams and he was an Aussie and all that. I mean, I'm very partial to one of those. There's one lives in Melbourne, as you know. Um, but it, he, he does demos in it, but he doesn't race it. I'd love to race that. I think it'd be awesome. Blake Simington. Uh, sorry, let me try that again. Blake Simington, I should say. Yes. He says, do you think a change needs to be made to Touring Car Masters to stop it from going, he says, going too fast? So I presume Blake's talking about the, the recent changes of allowing uh, a Chev engine in a Capri and a, a Category engine, and uh, uh, there's a bit of uh, we felt there's a bit of disquiet from fans about oh, that. Yeah. A bit more mm. was probably read into it than probably should have been because the aim of the game is to get more cars on the track. But what, what's your take on the direction of, of TCM as a guy who's been in it for what nearly ten years? Now? Yeah, well, um, I, I there's a I think there's a bigger picture to be seen. Um, that engine which went in the Capri. Is a is a, a basically a crate style engine, uh, and possibly should be a control engine for the whole category. To be honest, because the engines, say my car, which is a five liter car, Stevie J's, you know, Bressingtons, whatever, they're very expensive engines. They they're full on racing style 
And we're not talking 20 grand engines oh, no. here. We're 70, talking, 80. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's big money. That's big money for a category that really is about fun. Whether it should be in a Capri, I mean, I think they either should be in everything with a sunset period so that you go, okay, in two years' time, you're going to have to use this control engine and it needs to be uh, very good control so that, that everyone's got the same within five horsepower or something, you know, which is possible to do, but it takes a bit of organisational skill. Formula Ford does it. They're all close as close in their engines. Um, whether it's gone too far, I think it's okay to let XDs in and Commodores will be next for sure, as long as they don't have a huge advantage. Like, the idea is that we have a a, a group of six, eight, ten cars that can that are all around the same pace. And uh, the last couple of years, the difference between, say, a five-litre car, which is mine, so this sounds like self-interest, and, and it probably is, <laughs> At least, but, but, at least you're honest. But, you know, I mean, you can't not have self-interest. It doesn't matter who you are. Even the Pope has self-interest. So um, uh, there's a 100 kilos difference between a 6-litre car and a 5-litre car now, as the rules are now. And there's a 100 and... I know because my engine guy does my engine and he also does some of the Mustang engines for Tony Kay, Rusty French. He was... Certainly helped out on Stevie J's engine in terms of component choice and stuff. Uh, they've got at least 120 to 130 horsepower more, and at least 100 foot pounds more. So 100 kilos is not enough difference. So my car's 100 kilos lighter, but it's not enough. Mm. If it had six, seven speed gearbox, and I'm not the only five liter car. There's other plenty of other ones out there. So it's very hard to beat a good six liter car with a good driver. The last few years, Stevie J's been on his own. But now we've got more guys, more good guys in six-litre cars. So, you know, we won't... It's, it's not possible, I don't think, to win in a, a five-litre car at the moment. So that's my view. I mean, that's... Of course, it's self-interest. But when, a, when I was running the Mustang, there was 200 kilos difference. I think that answers Blake's question. But let's just add a little part to it, though, that the, the direction... Of the category, clearly you're on board with the, the newer, the Falcon XDs, the Commodores and the like. I think so. I don't see why there's any, you know, real... They're part of, uh, you know, I have quite a lot to do with rear spares as an ambassador and have done for a long time. That's where the restorations are happening now. Mm. Falcons, Commodores, you know, the Tiranas and things are all being taken, all mm. gone, all getting expensive. The window's moving. Yeah, the moving window's moved, yeah. yeah. And so pe- people are buying the... Vs, VC, VH Commodores and restoring them. So Rears are making all these new bits for them. And yeah. same with XDs and XEs, XFs. So I don't see any real drama with having those in there. As long as they're not given so much freedom that they make all the other cars obsolete. Mm. And then what's happened in the past to some degree is that there's, a, there's probably 20 cars out there that don't race because the, the development has gone on and on and on. And these guys don't want to race. Maybe you could have some TCM Division 2s or something. Mm, yeah. We've got three classes within and one race, but it, I'd love to see 30 cars out there. And this year we've got Painter Dixon uh, uh, supporting us. They're doing some good stuff with us. We're going to be at the, whatever they call the Muscle Car Masters, which I'm sure you're involved uh, in. It's uh, got a new name this yeah, year. It's Master Blast. Master Blast Presenting or something. the Muscle Car Masters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we... 
as a category, we'll be there. We're going to have a you know a night race, and you know I don't know how we're going to see where we're going, but. <laughs> <laughs> Because the lights are not Headlights, that good on JV. Those, yeah, those old cars. I'd like to put some big flash, you know. Some big spotties on the spotties front. Spotties on the front yeah. like the old days. Yeah. But, uh, so the, the, there's a lot of good stuff happening with TCM. It's just, it's always going to be a, a balancing act trying to keep everybody happy and it's almost impossible to do. Mm. But, mm. but, you know, I race in it because I like driving the cars. They, they've got small wheels, like eight inches wide by 15 They've got really good power. Like mine's got 600 horsepower. The big car's got seven, up to 750. And they've got no aero. Aero kills motorsport. Mm. Mm. I want more car sliding. Yeah, well, Many you know, more car sliding. on the edge. Edge, yeah. edge yeah. 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 Easier to make a mistake in. Yeah. Easier to make a mistake in. We might jump to the next question. Brett Pember asks, who's the most influential person in your career history and who do you think should be recognised for their role in developing the sport that hasn't been yet? So I guess that's a two-parter. But the most influential person in your career history? There would have been a lot over... Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, first of all, I mean, there was, there's been a few. There's, there was my dad, obviously, I went racing with when I was a kid, who did a lot of, you know, car prep and taught me arguably how to behave. Uh, then there was Gary Cooper from Elfin who sort of took me on as a young man and gave me opportunities to race, as us Tasmanians call it, on the mainland. And in the real country. In, in the real, in Australia. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Dick and Dick Johnson's group of people were very influential in, in my, was my early times. I mean, I guess John Shepard too. John Shepard gave me a shot at... At um, touring cars, Mark Pitch was involved in it then too, so I can't miss uh, leave him out. Him and Chepo gave me the opportunity to join the Volvo team when it, it was a one-car team. It became two, and I became the second driver. So it put me on the map really because you know I was on the f- even though I'd driven open wheelers and won gold stars and sports cars and all that, no one took any notice of you. Where as soon as you drove a touring car, whoa, superstar! Know, yeah, here you were. Well, it's like that now, isn't it? It's still mm. the same. Um, first race I did in the Volvo, I was on the front row of the grid, and the second race I was on pole. So my second touring car championship race, I was on pole position. I don't know whether many people have done that. Not many. That just came to me. Out of my depths of my memory. That was in the hard drive. That was in the hard Somewhere drive. Somewhere filed away. Yeah. Um, who hasn't been recognised? Who's a quite achiever of the sport that's helped the sport overall that should be recognised for their role? I, I think that's one of the things that as a sport we we have moments of brilliance where we do acknowledge really well a lot of things, but we there's probably a lot of unsung heroes that we don't get a chance to, a lot to acknowledge. Of the, uh, a lot of the administrators are... Unrecognised, you know, without all that stuff. And I, I'm honestly, I've been racing for more than forty years. It's only the last five, I reckon, that I've actually realised who does all the work behind the scenes. Mm. You know, the, the people that are, uh, you know, involved with cams and become along weekends and be officials and clerk of the course and you know all that stuff. That nothing happens at all without all those people. And everyone, you know, cams bashers. Most people do anyway that are in the sport without getting it. So there's lots and lots and lots of people. In in uh, in my time, I think, you know, uh, let's assume supercars is the focal point of most people's focus on motorsport. Um, Tony Cochran moved it to a new level for sure. And uh, Wayne Caddack, who used to work 
with mm. Dick, was the general manager of Dick Johnson Racing, then went to supercars and ran supercars. It was a very good, very strong period of supercars. They were the good cop, bad cop Yeah, they were. Guys, yeah, were they? Yeah. yeah. But it was a, you know, a good, strong growth per, per period of supercars with lots of cars in it and lots of entries and, you know, the team's making a buck and seemed to be anyway. Mm. Um well, they had to pay their highly credentialed drivers. John. Yeah, well, I don't. I think I was too early for the big money. Unfortunately, it's always been a point of contention. But and I was dealing with mostly Dick Johnson and Brad Jones, so you're never <laughs> going to get paid big money by them. Uh, were they? When you do race for people that you are friendly with, are they handshake deals? Are they one-page contracts? Are they multi-page contracts? Are they? My word is my bond. In, I mean, we live in a very different yeah. world now of driver managers and things like that. But how did yeah. you how did you handle all that? Oh, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I, it was funny with Dick. I'd uh, we'd go to New Zealand at the end of the year, so it was never any long term anything. So were you year to year? Yeah. Really? Yeah, year to year. No but, job security. No, nothing. And uh, we go to New Zealand, and I'd go, uh, Dick, am I driving for you next year? This is in November. And he'd go, oh, yeah, we've got to talk about that, you know. And we, we never did. I'd, I'd sit in a hotel room, motel room in Auckland or Wellington. Uh, yeah, for, for the old Nissan Mobile 500 yeah, yeah, races yeah, at yeah. Wellington. And, and I'd write a letter going. to him. You know, dear Dick, now, are we going to... Are we on? Because I was always trying to ramp the money up, you see. So I had to, you know, he would have just let it go and I would have still got two bob like I got the year before. But he... Anyway, in the end, when Wayne came along, it was a bit easier. I had someone to negotiate with. But it was we never had any real formal stuff, and neither was Brad. Never, 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 never. Deal's a deal. Deal's a deal, yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah, like it. Yeah. Uh, Richard Westhead asks, JB, any good anecdotes or stories about the prancing horse Ferrari 360 GT you raced in Nations Cup, which was the, the Michelotto, Michelotto car that came car, after yes, the yes. Challenge car with the, the big rear wing, and, yeah, yeah. which I, I remember... I actually brought a Michelotto rear wing to you on a test day at Phillip Island. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gee, this takes me back to the Motorsport News days, a call from Paul Cruikshank. I was coming to do a Sandown 500 preview story at Phillip Island. I've jumped this aside and commandeered this podcast for a second. And Paul Cruikshank rang to say, will you be anywhere over near the airport? Right. I don't know that I was, but I ended up over there collecting from <laughs> customs a rear wing right. for your 360 GT for testing at Philip Island. Brought okay. it to Philip Island because I was doing a, yeah, a magazine know. story and jammed it into the back of a Honda Integra Type R that I'd borrowed from Honda, <laughs> which at the time was probably <laughs> the worst car to have to jam a rear wing from a Michelotto Ferrari. Good in. car. But though. I got you your rear wing and you Good got man. some testing Good man. in. Good so. man. Yeah, I, anyway. I, uh, they did have a, a change wing. I don't recall you doing that, but I might not have known. But um, I think you were in the car busy at the time. I probably was, yeah. They had a different wing, but it was a really good car. Michelotto build butte cars. And, and they're the Ferrari Like tuna. factory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fa- they're the Ferrari factory appointed race car builder. So the, what we see now is a GT3 488 is built by Michelotto. Mm. So, yeah, same. Um, it was great. A terrific, lovely car. Like I thought that, that whole... Uh, Nations Cup thing had a lot of had like a lot of thing things and 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 I'll go back to this uh, the other question for a minute. Ross Palmer was is unacclaimed and you know mm. Ross Palmer did some massive things for motorsport. He did production touring cars. He did GTP, which was you know hotted up touring cars. He did Nations Cup, which was the forerunner to GTs. Now. Uh, you know, like like everybody that tries to keep everybody happy, he very rarely kept anybody happy. 
24-hour uh, Bathurst. But he did a lot of stuff, and mm. you know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, I think Ross should be recognised more than he is because one day uh, he started the V8 Ute thing, mm. you know. V8 Brutes as it V8 was. V8 Brutes it as it off. was, yeah. yeah so Yeah, yeah and I, I drove for him for a while in the 355 back in the 90s, the Ferrari, which was then, you know, GTP, mm. and, uh, and it was good. I, I enjoyed it. Enjoyed driving in that. Um, the Michelotto car, they come back to that, it was a terrific car, yeah, really good. But the Nations Cup was kind of ruined when Ross was conned by Holden to let that... I knew you were going to say that. Let that Monaro, which had no Monaro, it's probably about like a current supercar, <laughs> isn't it? You know, that a, yeah, just, it was way outside what a productionised sports car should be. It had a seven-litre engine with eight throttle bodies and, you know, it was... In a category against Ferraris, Vipers, Porsches, Porsches all Lamborghinis... Fa- all factory race cars. Traditional They're GT race type cars, yeah. cars. So yeah. um, uh, another question that's rolled in that I think this is a loaded question. Oh, really? How do you remember everyone's names? You've got the best name memory of anyone ever. Car salesman. Ah, it makes trained, sense now. Highly trained individual. Yes, this makes sense. <laughs> Tick. Okay, I, had, I get uh, it. I was a car salesman from the age of 18, you know, until a long time later. So, yeah. You remember stuff. I do remember stuff. I remember people too. I mean, I get on raw with people. I like people. Anybody that's not trying to shaft you and that is interested in you is is worthy of some time, you know, so, so I enjoy it mostly. The odd person that tries to shaft you, you generally, you know, you shaft them fight back. back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would use fight rather than shaft. But. Um, Carl Phillips asks, after your recent um, chat in regards to switching to Holden, which I know is not a news story. You have discussed that before about the potential of driving for Larry Perkins in that last oh, yeah. 07 yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what exactly was it that made you want to or wish you had have joined Larry's team? Um, it's only in the benefit of hindsight. I mean, I'd, I'd, um, it, when you're getting a bit older, especially in supercars, as, as you know, Garth Tander and probably James Courtney are finding, people start talking to you about why haven't you retired and given some kid a go. Uh, and you don't, if you're not having a great year, and I didn't have a great year in my last year with Brad, you don't know whether it's the car or whether you really have lost it or, or what. Um, and so Paul Crookshank was a friend and he had a deal going and he had and, a... And he'd been your mechanic at, in the DJR days on the, the Sierra. The, on the Sierra, yeah. yes. The eight, first year I raced for Dick, Paul was my mechanic. Um, so, you know, I'd sort of agreed to do it as a last year. As it turned out, the car wasn't... Um, I wouldn't say I was misled, but I might have misled myself just mm. through the, the wanting to. But it wasn't quite what it was supposed to be. I th- I was told it was a triple eight car, and it would, have, but it had quite a lot of triple eight bits mm. in it. But but it wasn't. The chassis was a Briggs car, and some other bits. Um, and the engines were the 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 one level down in cylinder head. Uh, back in the days we had D, D cylinder C heads and C, or, or whatever, yeah. Yeah. was yeah. a C then D, D I don't, and I don't C, know what right. I had anyway, but yeah. I had the, yeah. the older one. So, and it didn't really become apparent until Simmons Plains, and 
I was I came out of the hairpin with James Courtney and he just blasted past me. So in hindsight, you know, Larry was very, very competitive character and it might have been fun to... I, all he wanted me for, I think, was to mentor Jack. But it would have been fun, you know. Jack's a good bloke and he, he, he was probably in there too prematurely. Yeah, yeah. It was and their cars had been good cars yes, the previous year because yes, Steve Richards yes. had done a little bit of winning um, and then moved on to FPR. So Yeah, so I may have been... You know, but hindsight's marvelous. Well, you, isn't you, it? you yeah. would have got more. Okay, you would have got more grog currency. I would have you got had some, all that free. But I don't even like bourbon. So well, yeah, but you handball. I could it off have given to your mates. it away to your yeah, mates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're that's a good bloke to everyone. Oh, yeah, have a bottle of JD. Yeah, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, it may not have been any different, but but uh, I just remember at the time grappling with my conscience, thinking, you know, I can't. You know, Larry's stuff was proven, and and Paul's stuff wasn't, and Paul's cars. Didn't go any good until they got a brand new triple eight car, mm. which mm. was the first one that Fabian had the next year. Drove the next yeah. year, yeah. So, but you know, that's that's not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. No, this is true. Did anyone try to lure you after 07 to do a co-drive at Bathurst in the main game? Or no, I didn't want to, and I I think I made it clear that I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I really, I was in really bad shape like mentally mm. during that period and probably for a year later you know in fairly deep depression you know seeking help so i couldn't have couldn't have done it yeah, couldn't plenty have, going on in your I plate could, yeah, you didn't need another i couldn't deal with it you know and then yeah. later on when i started to feel better i i thought well you know if i like it i want to do it again and if i don't like it i'll be disgusted <laughs> with myself so you know so i just and by that stage i'd had an opportunity by you know, a couple of people like John McMillan. Um, uh, and uh, um, Jim Walker from West Track to, to race in T- TCM. And, you know, I, I don't – just I, – I say to people quite often, racing to me is my happy place. So it doesn't matter what I race, as long as it's not trying to kill you. I, I get a uh, – it, it satisfy my, satisfies my addiction – Mm. Which which it is. It's, mm. a, it's an addiction to racing. So, and and quite often people go, when are you going to stop? I go, I'm never going to stop. You know, when I can't drive a fast car anymore, I'll get a slow one. So <laughs> it's a very simple formula, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just something that your brain will keep up with. Yeah, so. exactly. Mm. Um, I'll keep playing through the questions. Yeah, yeah, we got sure, sure. we got lots, and we're going to sure. try to get as many okay. through as we can. Um, Jordan Northcote, who's a, a regular mm. follower from WA, so it's a WA flavoured question. Yeah. Um, he said, I think something from the Kevin Otway year at Cat Racing, how did that deal come about? I know you have talked about the Cat deal and, yeah, and leaving yeah. DJR before, but yep. uh, what was the start? Was it a phone call? Was it a chat? Was it a right, meeting? Okay. Was it a chance call? How did catalyst. that? Catalyst. There was a catalyst. Who's, cat- who, whose fault was the it? The catalyst was uh, Les Laidlaw. Who had been with you at DJR. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and uh, Kevin Otway was a guy from Western Australia, transport, had trucks. Trucks did long-haul stuff, north and east uh kevin had hired les to build him a supercar mm. which was an el falcon which yeah. was an el falcon and he uh so les went over there and lived and they built this car a, a group of fabricator guys and i don't can't remember their names they built this el body shell it was it was quite a good cage you know it was well done but it was heavy because mm. um, i think it was built from a road car yeah it was, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, why yeah. yeah it was heavy uh anyway les 
contacted me and, and said, would you be interested in driving for a team? And I go, oh, maybe, who? And, and of course it had this Caterpillar attachment. I thought, you know, Caterpillar's big. They're in NASCAR and, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for a good story. I was then anyway. And also Stevie J was in the wings at Dick's and, and he was clearly talented, you know, gifted. So I thought, well, if I can do this. So I did, I did some due diligence. I, I did go and see it and look at it and I met with Caterpillar people and they all – no one told me that they weren't giving him much money though. Because I, you know, I remember... We're a bit like the bud deal here. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It looked, uh, looked great on the outside, it did. but maybe it, was it wasn't. shiny, shiny, yeah. And uh, and so I joined him. I, I got a reasonable deal. I had a contract drawn up for the first time ever. And um, and off we went. So they built the car. We tested it a bit. It was quite good. The engines were not quite where they should have been, but that's time. We went, and we went okay. Uh, but within a very short period of time, Poor Kevin had put his his business under stress by funding this racing, uh, and then I sort of found out that Caterpillar weren't putting in anything like I was led to believe, and so it looked like it was all going to fall in a heap because the Caterpillar guys were all diving under the desk in case they got blamed for it. You know, this cat racing goes broke. Not a good headline. Not a good headline, no. So... Unfortunately, I mean, the, 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 the buyer for a team was John Briggs. Mm. So that's how it ended up with John Briggs. And, and I, th- I believe Caterpillar waded in with some extra money and all that sort of thing. So, so it was unfortunate that it happened like that because it had a good little collection of people. It was only, like, by today's standards, it was a little team and it was a one-car team. But we could have, uh, I think, probably done better. And then when... The car went to Brisbane to live. Um, Phil Curtis, who was part of the, the nucleus of it all, he left because um, he didn't like certain people. They didn't get on well. And, uh, yeah, so it sort of wobbled along for a while. Occasionally it went well, like it did at Bathurst in 2001, mm. you know. We had some good results and we had a lot of stuff that wasn't quite right, you know. Just like that's motor racing. Just like any little team, you know. The, yeah. the best thing, the first thing you need in motorsport is a resource. Resource usually means dollars. If you have if you the dollars, cash. if you've got the dollars and you're good at choosing people, then you can. You only have to look at DJR team Penske now. Mm. That's as a result of resource. True. Mm. Um, Richard Fowler asks, who we know, Richard, who's uh, been around. Driving race cars over the years, Formula yep. Four, uh, winner in Formula Four, actually. Yep. For pure speed, who is the fastest driver you've ever seen over one lap? That's a tough question. Yeah, this is a tough question. But there's question. probably a name or two you can throw. Uh, Jay Bow. There you oh, go. No, w- once upon a time, maybe. Um, well, I mean, once again, it's very. It's. Uh, I assume you mean people I've been around rather than I'd say so. Lewis yeah. Hamilton yeah. or someone who's obviously <laughs> saw him on the telly. Obviously, pretty good at it, isn't it? <laughs> you see him once a year at Albert Park. Uh, wow, uh, it's probably a tough, tough question. It, it is a toughie. I mean, Lowndes was you know pretty good at it in his heyday. Uh, there's been a lot though in supercar stuff. There's been a lot of guys when they're in the right place and the right time and in the right zone. You know, you'd see flavour of the minute or performer of the minute is Scotty Mack, isn't it? Mm. You know, I mean, he's had poles and 
pretty s- stupendous mm. performances lately. So he, he'd have to be one of them too. But it's it's very hard to point out because they're different cars, different teams, different engineers. You know, it's very people dependent and very subjective. Yes, very subjective. So I'm sorry I can't give you a good straight answer. I knew it would be a tough one to answer. A uh, Chris Wintle asks JB, what cars do you own yourself at the moment? Uh, well, I've got a, a, uh, a an E-Type Jaguar Roadster, which is an old car I bought from Alf Barbagello about 10 years ago. It was on his showroom as a display car, so I've still got it. I love it. It's it's the only car I think I've ever bought that seriously went up in value <laughs> instead of plummeting. Well, you did okay with that Lamborghini. Yeah, that's, Come on. N- that's 1986. That's <laughs> <laughs> a long time between drinks. Um and I've got a little Caterham Clubman, which which is a little track car. It's it's road registered, ADR, all that. But it's a it's a track car. It's a mm. better track car than a zero car. I drove it at the weekend at Sandown, in a uh, Liquid Molly and my supporters, and I do lots of things for them. Liquid Molly had a team in the Porsche Club six hour relay, and I was in the team in the Liquid Molly team, and uh, there were twenty six teams in it. Have you ever been to one of those? I've never done one. Uh, a long, long time ago. Yeah. For those who don't know, what what is it? What, well, it's it's, a, it's like grassroots motorsport. They don't have to be race cars. Most of them are road cars, from Toyota Corollas to GT3 RSs, Porsches. There's a few cup cars out there. Um, they, you have a team. We had six cars in our team, and there's 26 teams. One car on the track per team. Per team. So time. there's 26 cars yep. on the track at a time. And you nominate a time for your car, or you got a car in it, you got a car in it, and you nominate a time. And when you go faster than that time, you lose a sh- crap load of points. You nearly said something other than crap load. And then when you, I did. Uh, and if you lose, if you're slower, you lose less points. But so the, the aim of the game is to have a target time and hit the target. Hit the time. target time every time, every mm. time. Yeah. So we, <laughs> you know, where we finished out of twenty six. I mean, I'm guessing really good or really bad. Last. Really bad. <laughs> Last. Went too fast or went too slow? <laughs> went too fast. <laughs> Shock me. I stood up. I had to present the trophies and I, I said, look, honestly, this is in over 40 years of motorsport, this is my first regularity event and I clearly need to learn a bit more about it. <laughs> Uh, and that's and and the, my everyday car is a, is something I used to criticise everybody that drove SUVs, never went off the road. Uh, diesels, all that, that's what it is. SUV, diesel, never goes off the road. You're now one of them. I'm now one of them, yep. Right. Yep. Um, Scott McKenzie Brazier, sorry, I'll start that again. Hyphenated surnames trip me over mm. all the time. Uh, Scott McKenzie Brazier asks, what were your thoughts, uh, what are your thoughts on the Bathurst 6 hour, the production car race at Easter that you were up at yeah. uh, again this year? What's your thoughts? It takes you back to the, the old days of Bathurst, yeah. doesn't it, with road registered type I truly uh, uh, really enjoyed it. I mean, we had a bad run. We had an issue with a suspension and then we had an issue with a clutch. But but I loved it because it's got so much variety. You know, there's there's a Suzuki Swift or a... Which is still going around up st- there, by yeah, the way. Yeah, it never misses a beat. Uh, or, a, a, you know, an M3 or an M4 or whatever. It's, it's And all sorts of other things in between. It's really, I reckon, because they are showroom cars, they haven't got... The Commodore I drove as a GTS, like the last of them. HSV. Know, HSV, yeah. yeah. It was a terrific car. Once we got all the problems fixed, it was as fast as the BMWs. So it's a an Australian car, the last of the big 
Aussie muscle cars that we all loved, whether you were Ford or Holden, you love one of them. Mm. And, you know, I think it's got a really good future. This year, though, the, the entries were down a bit, and I'm not quite sure why I'd have to ask James O'Brien. He might know. Sounds like you're going to be asking the hard questions. It could be journalists, JB. Um, <laughs> another question here. I did not – well, this could be loaded too. Have you still got your Brock Falcon? Did you have a Brock Falcon? Never. Never, never. Well, well there's an easy question answered. No, I, I, I didn't have one, and uh, I, I only ever saw one once. Did he make any more than one? Oh, there were a handful. Yeah. Mm, probably a couple of hundred? Oh, I don't know. Don't We'd know. have to look into that. But JB did not have a Brock Falcon. There you go. No. Uh, Ryan Scott, this is the last question, by the way, from our Couch Racer questions. Right. Uh, what do you think would be a good option for that fifth race event that's being mooted at Bathurst? So there's, a, there's currently four events, yeah. the six-hour, the 12-hour, the 1,000, mm-hmm. and the... Challenge Bathurst in November. Yes. Uh, there has been expressions of interest put out from the council for a fifth event to p- potential promoters. I think there's five or six who've um, lodged applications. Mm-hmm. What would you like to see? What would be – do we need another one? Is five too many? Well, of course, or, the council would need another be? one because they get some Make some cash. Out hey, of it's it. another yeah, chance yeah. for you to drive something. Yeah, though. and, the, and the, the city of Bathurst obviously does well out of events there because the town floods with people. Uh, I'd like, and I have thought this for a long time, I'd like to see a really big historic style festival go on there as the VHR uh, do at at, uh, Phillip Island each year, each March, something in that vein with five or six hundred people, so uh, competing people. Y- I mean, yeah, competing so cars. largely a competitive-based event with clearly fan interest. Well, you'd get fan interest, though. you get fan interest at Phillip Island, so if we transplanted the same Group A and C touring cars, yeah, yeah. Group N touring cars, group N. sports cars, yeah, open wheelers. historic Formula Ford, which we do see yes, at Bathurst. Yes, uh, all that tournament. in one go, though. Uh, and, I mean, you see it in America. You're also always quoted as the Goodwood stuff because mm. that's all pomp and ceremony. But America has uh, the Monterey Historics, which I've raced with Joe at. Um, we went to a, a historic meeting last year at the Circuit of the Americas. And, and you get all these interesting cars. So all sorts of things. You could have early V8 supercars like you're I know, interested in. I know a guy who you might know a guy uh, who knows a guy. Yeah, 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 sounds so good. Something like that. And, and, and it would take some – a promoter who does it has to be a ballsy promoter, obviously, because the circuit hire and the whole structure needs – It's not a cheap thing to do. It's not. A, it's, yeah. not it's, a, it's a big thing to do. But I, I just think – it would be awesome because people are interested in old race cars. They don't have to be that old. I mean, a Sierra's not that old or, a, you know, an early EBE F Falcon is not that old. But, you know, you'd have the early early stuff like some of the things they have a Goodwood of, you know, 50s cars mm. on upwards. I think we'd fill the field somehow. I reckon you would, yeah. Five or six categories. If you get 600 cars there, then the entries are, you know, the money's there. And and I think that you could build it into something really good because around the world it happens. So mm. why would it not happen here? Mm. Well, and, and Phillip Island is a classic case. They they get a really good fan follow mm. at Phillip Island. They get more people there than the supercars get. So and that's not denigrating supercars. It's just that people love to go to that sort of thing. They wander in and out of the garages and kick the tyres and talk to everybody. It's it's I love it. I just love it. I tell you what we've loved is the couch racer question. So thank you to all our followers who've, yeah, thank you. who've sent them in. Um, <laughs> I do I do love looking at through our old photo archive here, particularly of the seventies, eighties, and the uh, there's plenty of podium shots with drivers after they've won races, 
having a quiet cigarette oh. on the podium. You could never get away with it these days. Well, you well, but yes. back in the day, it was the norm. Your team owner, for a start, would think you weren't dedicated enough. Um, well, if you didn't have one, no, no. If you if you smoke now, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about back then. But uh, I mean, it was, there's several reasons why I smoked. I smoked. Probably as a nervous, instead of a nervous twitch. So I smoked only at the race meetings. I didn't smoke at home. It was only ever there. Truly. Yeah. I used to. And the guy from Vincent Hedges, uh, who sponsored Tony Longhurst, used to give me cartons of it. <laughs> cartons we're, we're, of them. we're in the bud territory here, aren't we? <laughs> he used to give me cartons of them. So, you know, I just used to pluck them in my race bag and, you know, I'd, I'd smoke at the track. I gave up a long time ago. And I'm very glad I did. But, you know. Kiki Rosberg used to smoke. James Hunt used to smoke. A lot of them used that to smoke. World Championships. Every, so. Everybody smoked in some era, mostly. Now, it's now, unfortunately, you see a lot of youngsters smoke now. Mm. So they obviously haven't got the messages, have no. they? No. Speaking of, speaking of smoking, smoking mm. the opposition, Silverstone, oh, 1988, you. European Touring Car Championship. Yeah. You and Dick Johnson take a Sierra to basically give the Europeans a bit of a hiding. Yeah. We've heard Dick's side of that story quite a bit, but I want to hear your side of... <laughs> he says it was an ego trip to go over there after basically the Eggenberger team had pulled his pants down at Bathurst the year before. But uh, what were your memories about how that all came together? And you guys put the car on pole, you, you led and dominated the mm. race, but you, you had an issue. The Poms say that the car was a cheater. No. That there was stuff wrong with it. What a load of crap. I'm what a load of crap. Tell me more. No, no, they uh, – well, see, it was my first year with DJR, so I was, you know, purely along for the ride. Mm. Uh, uh, we – it was it was Dick – it may have been ego-driven, I don't know, but Ross Palmer and Bob Gaydon, who worked for Ross Palmer and ran his steel business in America at the time, they paid for it. Mm. A red coat. Red so coat. the branding was different. It red was still coat, a red yes. Sierra, but it was a red it coat had red car, coat, not a shell car. Yeah. Which was red coat steel. Yep. So it was in the you know the the days of Green's Tough and True Blue and all that. I mean, mm. I think Ross Palmer made his fortune out of all that sort of stuff. So Green's Tough, True Blue, nothing rhymed with yellow. <laughs> so <laughs> didn't they, yellow. it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, so we went, uh, and I remember it was the very first time. Uh, that I'd ever been in a business class flight, and I thought, my mm. gee, this is good. I'm liking this. I've made it. Yes, I was made it. We went British Air, business class to London. And when we got there, uh, there was also another factor in it that Dunlop Japan were making tyres for Australia, and Dunlop England were making tyres for England, and the Dunlop Japan ones were better. So Rouse had Dunlop England tyres, and Eggenberger had Pirellis, which were like hard as this table, and we had Japanese Dunlops, so they were contributing to it. But it was still a good car. You know, it was fast. It wasn't that cheating. Good grief. I reckon theirs were more bent than ours were. I mean, it was nothing. Our rules here were quite well policed. As Alan Grice and Peter Brock found out when they took their Commodores over there and and a a three-and-a-half-litre Rover passed them going down the straight. With room to spare. With room to spare. So, no, there's no way in God's earth that our cars were bent, for sure. They were uh, both Dick, Neil Lowe and Alan Draper, to a degree, who was an engine builder. They'd developed the the Bosch engine management system uh, that they got from a guy in England who developed that thing for the RS200 rally car. Ford rally car, Yeah, yeah. So it was a Bosch 
MP 1.2 system at that stage, and it, and it was good. It had managed the engine well. So, you know, I probably we, we had more power. But anyway, we to use Dick's terminology, we smoked them well and truly. And we ended up, I remember passing uh, Klaus Ludwig, who's a pretty bloody good driver, up towards uh, it was in the old track. So and this is the, I was about to say, this is the old Silverstone. It's fast. Fast. Yeah, real yeah. fast. Yeah. This was, you knew you were going fast. You know, it's like the only place you get that sort of noise. You had, you ran those days with the windows down or the, the driver's side window down. You could get all this air buffeting because you were going, you know, quick. You got, used to get it at Bathurst and get it at, mm. at uh, Phillip Island, but nowhere else. Uh, and there was a, a, a quick left hander, I think it might have been called Abbey or something, up the the back side of the track on the coming back and I remember passing Klaus um, Ludwig as we came through there I just pulled out and passed him so I thought that was pretty good cop that two time Le Mans winner yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and I passed Andy Rouse at the end of Hangar Straight under brakes uh, yeah so it was a pretty good thing for me <laughs> <laughs> we, had a, just, we had a water pump uh, leak and that's what stopped us or took the Mm, yeah, de- delayed you to yeah, the point where the, result, yeah. the car wasn't able to um, continue for the win. We actually, uh, yeah, it's it's a ripping race. There's some highlights of that floating around. Is there? Um, yeah, on YouTube. And I mean, stuff. honestly, I, I it was the first year of it was we came back to do Sandown, so I'd done you know half a season with him really, mm. and I was you know green, green. But it was a you know pretty amazing moment when you you know you'd watched British Grand Prix and. We were on the same track and the mm. same pits and mm. all that. So, yeah, it's good. It's good. I think the, the other elements are there. There was Alan Grice was in the factory skyline with Win Percy. Win Percy, yes. Uh, Tom Walkinshaw had the Herbie Clips yes. VL flare. Commodore. Uh, yeah. Fuel injected, yeah. not flared, but you know, the Batmobile Commodore yes. is what I was trying to remember. Yes. So there were some pretty good operators there that weekend. So um, good to cover off a, another topic. We've covered a lot of ground in this podcast, I've got to say. We're going to finish it off with what we call the V8 Sleuth Top 10 Shootout. So I'm going to say some names and some things, and you, you can only describe them in one, maybe two. I might let you have two words. Oh so the first word that comes oh to mind, it's, it's a fancy form of word association, oh Jamie. That's all it is. Right. You ready? Yeah. Brad Jones. Good bloke. That's two words. I know. All right. Okay. Let's start. Okay. I'll give you two. Give I'll me let two. you have two. Good, good bloke. Yeah, yeah. Is he paying you? No, no, okay. he wouldn't. He's too tight. Yeah, fair point. Lucky Nuts. Uh, sponsor, <laughs> sponsor. He was my sponsor. He was. Yeah, yes. yeah he's my um, sponsor. In the Formula Pacific days. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I did a few F two races in a Lucky Nuts car, which was a sponsor. But he was a open wheeler lover, and you know, so he helped me. Eighty one, eighty two, eighty three. He is Chris Leach. His yes, name was. Yeah. Yes, yes. Chris Leach. He's since sold the business, I believe. I haven't mm. seen him for a very long time, but he was a friend of my brother's at the time. You know, you. If you're lucky and you're fortunate, which I consider myself that I am, you meet people on your way through and they help you. And he was one of those people, like Gary Cooper, like Dick Johnson, you mm. know, like... Did you get paid in nuts? No. Oh. No, I didn't get paid. Oh. I, I didn't know people did get paid yeah. until I, <laughs> until I, when I drove for Volvo and, and they said, we, we'll give you X amount of dollars. It wasn't much, but... I thought, gee, this is not bad. I might have to keep you at this. You get paid to do this? <laughs> Righto. Top 10 shootout continues. Our third car on the track. Uh, Prancing Horse. I probably should say Prancing Horse Racing. Prancing Horse Racing? Um, fun. Fun Ferraris. 
Yeah, it's well, good. Two, two words. It's good. It's good. Two words. They were, so good times. Good times. Mustang Sally. Successful. Mm, that's putting it politely. Viscander. Also successful. <laughs> no, you've got to use a different word. <laughs> great car. It was a great car. For its time, you know, it really was a great car. Robbie Francovic. Difficult. <laughs> it was difficult to I get on I thought you were going with. to say Kiwi. No, um, no, no. I've got some good friends that are Kiwis. The 1986 Australian Touring Car Champion, Robbie Francovic. Yeah, I know he was, yeah. Um, Another Australian touring car chairman. We have touched on him earlier. Glenn Seaton. I'm trying to say. I mean, I, I have, as I said, I've got a lot of time for him now. Um, tough competitor. Fair point. Mm. Jim Richards. Another tough competitor. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit of repetitiveness going yeah, on here. Yeah, I know. You've got to come <laughs> with something different. That's right, right, I'm not very creative, mate. Uh, Jimmy Richards, he's uh, he's a he's a legend. He's a legend. I think that's yeah the one word that fits. Uh, Tony Longhurst. Uh, he, had, he, interesting. Had, he, he had you off at Winton in '92, didn't he? Oh yeah, but I mean, you know, I've had people off too. <laughs> that's what's what, the, that's what's the best one that you deliberately lined someone oh, up? No, at, so I, Tony, I ran him into the fence at. Um, <laughs> At Oran Park, once he tried to pass me around the outside, which is definitely a no-no. Um, and I had uh, Lowndes off at Oran Park once when he was driving for David Flint at, you know... F- oh, FPR. FPR. David Flint was the MD of FPV. David Flint and I were friends. But Lowndes kept hitting me up the bum all the time, as he does. And uh, so I lured him down the outside then pushed him into the sand. <laughs> It was good. And then David Flint came marching up the pit lane and was going to kill me. <laughs> I love where we've gone with this podcast. We've got some gold here. This has been a good chat. Oh, dear. Uh, oh, we're up to our last one. And I thought I'd throw a track in here. Lakeside. Great track. Love it. Ballsy? Yeah, ballsy, yeah. Yeah. It was funny. Uh, I'd raced there in open wheelers. I'd raced there in my Rolt. I'd raced there in 1980 in a Formula 5000. Uh, race there in the Volvo, but when I went there to drive, I had a test before I drove for Dick. I'd already he'd already agreed that I'd drive for him, and he he said come up and have a run at Lakeside. So I learned more at Lakeside driving around Lakeside from him in in a day than I'd learned in the six previous times. I mean, he was dynamite around there. God, he was fast. Yeah, so. Uh, and consequently, I became quite fast at it. And we used to test there regularly when you were allowed to test. We also did, you know, quite a lot of tyre testing. It was hard on tyres for Dunlop. You know, it was a, a different era in as much as we had three tyre companies vying for for honours, you know, for gold. So they put quite a lot of money and effort into it with tyre development, the, the three of them. Being and, uh, Dunlop, Bridgestone and Yokohama. Yokohama, yeah. 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 Bondi turned up a bit. Oh, Toyo. He had a Toyo, Toyo, didn't too, he? Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we had a little period where Hoosiers Hoosier tried to with, come into V8s With on. Max Dumpsey, right. who Max is still the agent for Hoosier. He had he ran Hoosiers for a while. So this is, we've, t- we've turned this into a controlled tyre chat now. Yeah, um, it is, yes. But it was interesting, you know, because we used to do testing and we'd, you know, if if people that haven't done tyre testing, it's it's really deep stuff because they don't tell you anything. You know, you do it all blind, so mm. to speak. Mm. You're not blind, but... Here, and, here's and some you're more tyres. Go drive. 
<laughs> you know, you hear, drive these and then, you know, fill in all this stuff. So we used to do, you know, qualifying runs. We, we, we might go to Lakeside, Winton, Phillip Island somewhere. We'd, we'd have two or three hundred tyres. Mm. So you'd do... Now you're lucky to have that for a season. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and well, not quite, but a few more. But. And we'd uh, and, and Yokohama used to do more than us. Yeah. Uh, and you'd you'd do simulated quali run, then you'd do race runs on them, and you'd do so many miles. You'd, you'd be worn, worn out, out. Worn out before you get to the race. Absolutely. Event. <laughs> you'd do a couple of days, but you had to go on holiday. I tell you what, we've covered enough ground that we probably need to have a holiday, have a holiday. after this podcast. John Bow, it's been a real pleasure to go down memory lane with you on the V8 Slith podcast presented by Doric, who I know a great partner of yours, a great partner of ours. We've covered some serious ground in this chat. We um, have, mate. We have. I've been around for a seriously long time, but Doric uh, have been in my world since 2007, so that's 12 years. They've mm-hmm. been in motorsport for 2015. Since uh, for fifteen years, sorry, for, since two thousand and four, I think. With yeah. uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, they started in the development, development series, series. With Philip Skyfleet. Phil Skyfleet, and they were yes. ironically enough. Yes, and, and we're turning this into a little bit of a sponsored chat, but yeah. it is an interesting story. So, Will Davison's part of the Doric family now. Yes. Yourself, Troy Bayless, who we're, yes. we're going to chat to you all on yeah. these podcasts. Yes. Uh, but when Will Davison first turned up at Team Dynamic, yes. after he came back from England. Totally unconnected. Part of the deal on that weekend of all the different sponsors on that black Commodore that he drove at Winton, Doric was on the bonnet. I didn't even know that. So it's all clicked together. Isn't He's now an mate? ambassador. And he has been for quite a long time, Will. So. And, uh, and Troy Bayless, I, I haven't known all that long, but I, he's an absolute ripper legend, Blake, I tell you. He's a beauty. So... I'd like to think Doric, they're fantastic people. It's family-owned business. They're lovely people and they make awesome products. So I hope I'm around for a bit longer. We and their car and motorbike lovers, lovers. They've all got, you know, weird cars and weird motorbikes. In a good way. Now they got me. <laughs> weird me. <laughs> JB, thank a you, pleasure. Boys. Thanks thank for you. your time. Ciao. So there you go. We didn't quite plan for our chat with John Bow to go quite that long, but I think you'll agree it was definitely worthwhile. A big thank you too to John Bow. He was so generous with his time and told us a few stories that I don't think have ever been told anywhere else before. Keep an eye on our website, v8sleuth.com.au and the V8 Sleuth Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages for our next episode. We've managed to secure one of the biggest names in Australian motorsport for it so you won't want to miss episode two. Until then, we'll catch you next time on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Dory. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.